Yes, God, we sing and believe that you're the Lord of all. There's nothing that can sustain us, nothing that can um, give us life, nothing that can provide peace and hope. There's no other name but the name of Jesus that we can be saved, God. There's power in that name. We believe it, Lord. Help us to fix our eyes on you. Help us to be attentive to your word today. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you, Jacob. Matt, thank you so much for leading us this morning. What a great day we've had so far with the baptisms. And later we have a child dedication that will be taking place at the end of the service. So praise God for what he is doing today. As always, I want to say a special thanks to Pastor Lee for allowing me to preach the word this morning. And I always pray that God will be glorified today. If you would turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 1 through 10. And once you find that, Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10, if you would stand out of the reverence of reading God's word together this morning. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Let's stand together as we read God's word. And Paul writes, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, and which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of the disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we come to you right now as your, your church, Lord, as your followers, I pray today as we have read your word and we take this opportunity to explain the meaning behind it, God, that you would be glorified. And through this, God, that we would draw closer to you, knowing that you are our God, you are our Savior, and Lord, that we are to walk in obedience to your word. Thank you that you love us. Thank you so much for this morning that we get to celebrate uh, these young people who have been baptized. Lord, I pray that this was a great example of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I pray today, God, that as your word is spoken, as your gospel is shared, that lives would be changed. Thank you so much that you love us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, this morning, as we have read through the first half of Ephesians chapter 2, we are reminded of God's perfect way of reconciliation. And here within these specific verses, Paul elaborates upon the wonderful grace of God. Paul wrote this letter to the church in Ephesus while he was in prison in Rome, and this is recorded in the book of Acts chapter 28. And here and again, chapter 2, Paul paints this beautiful picture of what the gospel message of Jesus Christ does for the sinner. In verses 1 through 3, again, he says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince 
of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. It is very clear that there is a state of hopelessness and helplessness without Christ. There's an old English saying that originated from the seven, in the 1700s, which Ben Franklin made more popular here in the, within uh, America, and it's the saying that God helps those who help themselves. I'm sure you've heard that statement before. But I want to tell you, this is the exact opposite of what the Bible teaches. We cannot help ourselves, but God helps the helpless. As a matter of fact, God takes it a step further even more. God helps his enemies who have transgressed his holy law. Paul says in verse 1 that we were dead. We were absolutely dead. Now obviously this is not talking about physical death, but because of our sinful humanity, we were spiritually dead. We had no inclination or responsiveness toward God and no ability to even please God. Like the old joke, we were worse off than a three-legged dog with no tail, one eye, two teeth, and bad breath. We were dead. And the reason we were dead was because of our own trespasses, our own sins. And yes, Paul does make a distinction here between trespasses and sins, but that they also work together in producing spiritual death. The trespasses refers to us violating God's divine commandments, while sins refer to our offenses against God in our thought, word, or even in deed. And this is everything, this says everything about man's lost condition. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, Paul teaches that our minds were blinded towards God. Romans 6.17, it says that we were slaves to our sin. In John chapter 3, verse 19, it teaches that we were lovers of darkness. Mark 2, 17 says that we were sick in our sin. And Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 teaches that we were under the power of darkness. And this is how we once walked before Christ. Here in just a moment, we're going to look back in verse 10 where it talks about that we will see that there is a new way that we are to walk in Christ. In other words, how we conducted our life before knowing Christ and how we conduct our lives now with Christ. Yet we used to walk in spiritual death with Satan, as Paul calls him the prince of the power of the air. And at that time, we were under his influence, and we belonged to the family of those who rebel against the holy and true God. We were a part of that family. In verse 3, we see that the outcome of this is that we were subject of God's condemnation as children of wrath. Because we ignorantly surrendered to the flesh, to the world, to Satan, we rightly deserved God's wrath. On Sunday mornings with our youth uh, this past two years, we have been going through the book of Revelation. And one of the things we have learned about in Revelation was of God's wrath and how it will be poured out upon those who take the mark of the beast who willingly take the mark of the beast. And the word there in the Greek is timos, which is talking about God's burning wrath upon the unbelieving. And we, by nature, were children of that wrath. Now, personally, one of my biggest pet peeves is when a politician or a motivational speaker who poses as a preacher nowadays 
will say this quote that we're just all God's children. We're all children of God. Well, I'm going to tell you something. The Bible knows nothing of that. In John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus tells his critics, You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. So in this world, you're either a child of wrath or you're a child of God. And for the children of God, here's the promise. In 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, John writes this, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure." Christians, because of what Christ has done for us and our belief in Him, we are no longer subject to God's wrath. Romans chapter 5, verses 8 through 11, very popular verse here. But God shows His love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we, have, we are reconciled shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have now received reconciliation. What an amazing demonstration of love for what God did through His own Son for those who could not help themselves. That's what God did. Verses 4 through 7, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Honestly, no hopeless fate looks any grimmer than the destruction of God's divine wrath. And just when things look the most desolate, Paul utters one of the greatest phrases in all of the Bible. I'm sure you can guess it. But God. But God, who is rich in mercy... You see, God's mercy doesn't flow down upon people because we did anything to deserve it. No, God's mercy on His helpless enemies flows from His own loving heart. That's who our Savior is. And you see, we are good at being sinners. We're the best. We're the best in the world at being sinners. But I want to tell you this. Jesus is a much better Savior than we are at being sinners. Because when we were dead in our many trespasses and sins, God loved us. He didn't wait until we were lovable. He loved us while we were dead in our sins. And because of His mercy, which is driven by His compassionate love, the result is we're no longer dead. Out there in our coffee bar on the wall, we have this verse, John chapter 5, verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, 
Whoever hears my words and believes in him who has sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Being that Christ has raised us up, and we saw this today in the picture of baptism, it is a picture of the resurrection from the dead. That we are now spiritually alive. And not just a picture of spiritual resurrection in the believer's life, but also a promise that when Jesus returns, we will be given our heavenly bodies, which is the final resurrection for all who believe this glorious gospel of Jesus. And he raised us up with him, and he has seated us with himself in the heavenly places. You see, our condition before Christ was spiritual death. And our position before Christ was a child of wrath. But now, we have a new condition. We have a new position in Christ. We have a new place for living. We have a new area of existence. Christians, our citizenship is of heaven. And we wait patiently for that wonderful inheritance that is promised for those who have been raised to new life in Christ. And Paul writes in Philippians 3, verses 20 and 21, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. What a great promise there. In verses 8 through 10, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This morning, I know before we sang uh, one of our first songs, that scripture was up on the screen. I asked man, I said, did you do that on purpose? He said, no, that was already planned. And he had no clue what I was preaching on until yesterday. And so uh, God works out great things here. But to think that Paul begins to sum up this idea of individual reconciliation. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And Paul cannot remind us of this wonderful gift of salvation without referring to the wonderful grace that God gives freely. You see, the work of salvation is God's gift that is given by His grace, which is received by us in faith. Now, growing up in church, and I don't know how many of us in here grew up in church, but uh, we have always, as God's people, have sung many songs about God's grace. What's the most famous song about God's grace? Exactly, yes. We sing that quite a bit. We sing that at uh, funerals. We sing it at weddings. Yes, I've seen it sung even in secular places. Matter of fact, the song Amazing Grace, the, the tune of it was actually originally a bar tune, Yes. And with that being said, we've sung many songs about God's grace. We still sing about it today. One of my favorites, and I think it was overlooked because it was more of an upbeat song, in 1918, a Nazarene preacher by the name of Halder Lillinus wrote the song, The Wonderful Grace of Jesus. And I want you to consider these words regarding God's grace. It says, The wonderful grace of Jesus that is greater than all my sin." How shall my tongue describe it? Where shall its praise begin? Taking away my burden burden, and setting my spirit free for the wonderful grace of Jesus reaches me. 
Then the refrain, the chorus says, Wonderful, the matchless grace of Jesus that is deeper than the mighty rolling sea. It's higher than the mountains. It's sparkling like the fountains. All sufficient grace for even me. Broader than the scope of our transgressions. What a line. And greater far than all my sin and shame. Oh, magnify the precious name of Jesus. Praise his name. What a beautiful picture of God's grace. And it is God's grace that initiates this gift that we call our salvation. And because of that, we are not able to take credit for our salvation. We're not, we, we cannot take credit for this salvation because, again, we're not able to help ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. It is not by any good works that we have done in the past or we're doing now or could be doing in the future. Salvation is not based upon the good works that a dead person can produce, but it's based upon the fact that in loving kindness, Jesus came to die to ransom sinners to the Father. So if we're still dead in our trespasses and sins, we're lost. We're in need of salvation. And any good work we do in the state of lostness Those good works are in vain. They're meaningless. Earlier this week, my buddy James Greenway asked, he said, hey, what do you you want to title this sermon? And I said, you know, call it your works are trash. But I don't think that's very nice. I don't think that would, uh, (laughs) for those of you visiting, that was a joke. So, but yes, uh, we, we, we we won't call it that. But as we're talking about God's grace and knowing that it is received by faith, this salvation can only be produced in us from what God has done. The American preacher and theologian Jonathan Edwards once wrote, you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. It's pretty profound. Listen, salvation is exclusive. It is grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone, according to Scripture alone, and for God's glory alone. Understand this, human beings, to be saved, we must reconcile with Him according to His terms, not ours. Because if we are saved on our terms, then guess what? We receive the glory. And the glory for our salvation solely belongs to God. And then in verse 10, Paul now explains that salvation is not based upon our good works, but that the good works that Christians produce are the result, are the consequence of God's redeeming work in the believer's life. Back in verse 2 earlier, Paul wrote that once that we once walked in the passions of this flesh as we were blindly, ignorantly following Satan. And now here in verse 10, he writes that we are to now walk in the good works that God has prepared. Again, how we conduct our lives as believers. So the saying in verse 2, once walked, means it should be different for those who are made alive by Jesus Christ. The great English theologian and preacher Charles Spurgeon once wrote this, a dead man feels comfortable in his coffin, but if he were to be made alive again, he would instantly feel suffocated and uncomfortable. There would be a strong urge to escape the coffin and leave it behind. In the same way, when we were spiritually dead, we felt comfortable in our trespasses and sins. But having come to new life, we feel we must escape that coffin and leave it behind. 
There's a lot of truth to that. And in God's grace, please understand that God saves us not merely to save us from the wrath that we do rightfully deserve, rightly deserve, but also to make something beautiful. As it says, we are His workmanship. We were created in Christ Jesus for those good works that God has prepared beforehand that we should conduct our lives in. God's love is a transforming love. It meets us right where we are at, but when we receive this love, it always takes us where we should be going. So when we see the statement, come as you are, there's a whole lot of truth to that. But as people who believe in the gospel message of Jesus Christ, we don't stay in our sin. We should be going to where his love is transforming us to. For the love of God that saves my soul will also change my life. And that is what we see here in Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. In closing out the message this morning, regarding what we just read in Ephesians 2, Christians hear this today. The secularist and the skeptics, they are dead wrong. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. His sacrifice upon the cross is sufficient to cover all sins. Because of His grace, our eternal salvation is completely secured. Victory over death is achieved. Our heavenly inheritance is absolute. And today, for us Christians, there is joy in serving the Lord. Praise be to God for His amazing grace. Now this morning, I, I do want us to understand that if you have not repented of your sin, turned from your sin and turned towards Christ, you're back at the beginning of chapter 2 where it says you were dead in your trespasses and sins. The Bible is very clear that we have sinned, as humans, we have sinned against a holy, perfect God. We have broken His laws. And you might be asking, what do you mean I broke God's law? Well, I'll just give you a simple one. The Bible says you should not lie. That's God's part of God's law. That is a command from God himself. And guess what? If we've lied, we're guilty. And the Bible also teaches in Romans, if you break one of God's law, you are guilty of breaking all of his laws. So therefore, we stand condemned in his righteous judgment. And because we have sinned, and we cannot help ourselves as human, we will continue in sin. God sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross in your place as the sin substitute. And Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life. And that was the reason why Jesus could die for us. And God accepted the sacrifice of Jesus in your spot. And on the third day, to verify this, Jesus rose from the dead, conquering sin, conquering death, proving that he is God. And the Bible is very clear. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So this morning, I want to encourage you. Matter of fact, I, I, I implore you, if you have not made the decision to put your faith, your trust in Jesus as your Savior, make today that day. Come find myself, come find Matt, come find Hillary, come find Andy, Bob, Sean. Find someone you trust we're here to tell you that Jesus saves. 
And that is the hope that we have today for humanity. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. and We thank you so much for your word. I pray that today you have been honored. Pray, Lord, that we understand that, yes, in this condition of our human nature, God, we, we rightly deserve the wrath that is coming towards us. But even better than that, Lord, we have been saved from your wrath because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. As your wrath was poured out upon your son, who did not deserve that, Lord Jesus, he took our punishment. And I pray today that we understand that we don't have to walk in our sin and shame anymore, but God, that we can walk in a new life. And God, as we walk in this new life, help us, Lord, to produce this fruit in keeping with repentance. Thank you so much for loving us. Thank you so much for uh, just the great things we got to celebrate this morning because of what Jesus Christ has done. And we pray this in his name. Amen.